Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Therapy and Theology. For those of you who have been tuning in for some time now, happy 2024. And to our new friends, if you're listening for the first time, welcome to Therapy and Theology. Over the last several months, we have been looking at a theme, embodied. And this theme is going to be one that we carry with us into 2024 as we continue this season of the podcast. And so one of the things that I thought about when I was thinking of how we should begin 2024, something that was laid upon my heart and that has been kind of reiterated throughout all of 2023 is this idea of being God's. And so my word for 2023 was yours. I am yours. And then as I studied scripture throughout all of the year, this theme of how I am his and he is mine, and also how all that God has is ours, I began to just wonder in this concept of belovedness and what it means to be loved by God, and then how that embodiment of his love for me, for you, this embodiment then allows us to return to him in love as a response, and then to bring his love to others as an embodiment of Christ. And so it's what Anne Richardson says, right? We begin at belovedness. And so with this concept in mind around our embodiment of belovedness, I want to take the next few episodes to give a little bit of 
a theology on this by answering the questions, what is love and why do we love? How do we love? And who do we love? And so throughout stories of scripture, we see this come to life. And through simple questions, I think we can find beautiful and deep answers. And so we're going to look at this first statement today. It's kind of a two-part question. What is love? And why do we love? Both why do why are we to love God? That's a command in scripture and, and others, right? Why do we love? So we're going to anchor this whole series in Luke chapter 10 and use the parables of Jesus's teaching to help us explore what it means to be loved by God and then therefore love God and love others. So let's begin by just looking back at Luke 10, 25 through 28. So at the beginning of this story, we see Jesus's teaching, and then a lawyer who's listening stands up and puts him to the test. And he says this in verse 25, and he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. What I love about this passage is that there is a question here. And regardless of the intent of this question, because oftentimes it's said that this question was ideally to trap Jesus into an argument. What I love is that this question actually reveals a deeper meaning behind the question and how Jesus brings it back to what he finds most important, which is relationship, right? What we see here is he asks the man what is written in the law. And what he's referring to is the Old Testament prayer that the people of God would have known from the time they were young. It's called the Shema. This was important because Jesus knew that this man asking about eternal life would know and have been brought up reciting the Shema. Yet, although it was common to the Jewish people, Jesus intended to remind them of what was important to him, relationships built on love, and not just any kind of love, but God's love, an active movement out of affection and good intention. So we see this Shema actually originated in Deuteronomy 6 and 7, where God established the command and how it's rooted in a desire for relationship with God founded on his covenant love. I think this is such a helpful context for understanding why we are to love God and others, as it initiates this embodiment, this receiving both with our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, this receiving of love, this encounter with love. Therefore, then we can love in response. It's an overflow of something we've experienced. Here's the most important thing that all of this can hinge upon. The image we hold of God will directly connect to our movement towards or away from relationship with him. And this is so beautifully wrapped in from an attachment perspective. When we look at this from the lens of psychology, right? If we think about the relationship between a child and a parent, we are able to recognize that the child's perception of that parent's receptiveness to them, right? When a child looks at their parent, looking at them, they're looking to see if they're loved and accepted by them, right? So that mirroring is so important. And we have actual brain chemistry that 
helps us create a vision of ourselves, an image of ourselves based on the mirror image of what our parents are showing us through their faces. Isn't that incredible? And I also believe that this is something we see in our relationship with God. As we experience religious cultures that are positive, if you've had positive experiences in your faith journey, that creates a stronger connection between your movement towards understanding God more, right? To, to connect with him more. Well, if you have the reverse, if you have traumatic experiences, right? A disembodiment, then we also see how that impacts our attachment or our relationship with God. And so I want to pose a question for us to consider here. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of God? Because if we hold a view of God as harsh or critical or constantly, repetitively disappointed with us, we are then often motivated to work for God's love or even avoid God's perceived judgment. Yet as we come to know God as love through the understanding of his patience and kindness and movement towards us, his delight in us, his grace towards us, our motivation to love God or to connect with God in relationship grows. This embodied experience of God's love and character is something that does something in us. It transforms our very lives. It begins, though, with God's movement towards us, right? And when we see this, we begin to look at God looking at us. And we see in 1 John 3 and in 1 John 4, explains the foundation of God's heart towards us, right? See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, you are God's children. And he goes on to say, in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so what I find so fascinating about this is that we can understand this cognitively, that the idea that God loved us first is so powerful, and yet it can be just a history lesson and not necessarily a daily experience. And so the words of Soren Kierkegaard are just beautiful because they remind us that even in the concept of God loving us first, it's not past tense. He says this, we speak of this in terms of history as if you had only once loved us first rather than without ceasing. You have loved us first many times and every day our whole lives through. And he goes on to say in this prayer that we are reminded daily that even when every moment we turn to him, he is already ahead of us loving us. And this has been such a helpful vision for me daily to be able to wake up and recognize he's already loving me first. His love is already moving towards me before I can even speak the words back to him. And so this is beautiful and good news, is it not? That God's love moves towards us, that he initiates his affection through making us in his image and in his likeness, through designing us to be in relationship with him and others by destroying shame and sin's shattered relationship through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, and offering grace 
and patience and peace and joy and comfort in relationship with him. This does not mean that we don't experience the ramifications of brokenness in our world, but that in all of it, in the midst of the chasm between our eternity, we have some safe refuge to turn to, this constant love that does not require anything of us. And so this is how I view God's process, love's process. First, love comes from God to us, then from us back to God for his love. Like it's almost like this, oh my goodness, I feel so loved. I love you, right? And then from us to the world, to others. But sometimes we get this process out of order, don't we? The messages of the world and even in Christian culture have created a belief that we have to work for God's love and connection, approval and presence. It also is true that we can place this belief on others in our lives. When we experience rejection or conflict, we learn quickly that if we act certain ways or do certain things, others will not connect with us, love us, or accept us. Yet in both of these scenarios, we find that love described by Jesus in the passage in Luke and in reference throughout all of scripture becomes inverted from affection that moves into action to action that seeks out love and affection. I'm going to say that again. The love of scripture is a love that seeks to be moved by affection, not for affection, right? This idea of having to work for love is not the same as biblical love being just moved by love. God was moved by love towards you and me. When I was younger, I craved love and affection from God. My own relationship with my father was distant, and I tried everything I could to win the affection of those around me, including God. And I did all the right things. I followed God's rules, but I still felt like I was missing something. And I was working for love and felt as though God's love for me was dependent on my efforts for him. Yet then I came to understand, I came to embody God's love for me that did not change based on my goodness or badness. I was his beloved child and nothing I could do could separate me from that truth. And this changed me. It changed the way I began to love God and others. And trusting in God's love for me allowed me to love out of a response to his love rather than obligation to obtain his love. So in closing of this first episode of the year, I want us to take a look at a story that you probably know well, but it's the prodigal son story found in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but I'll just tell it in my own words. But I encourage you, if you have time to go back and look at the characters of this story and just to be able to see and experience, maybe even place yourself in one of these characters to be able to embody what it would have been like to experience the love of the father. And so if you're not familiar with this story, we have three main characters. First, we have this younger son or the son that ran away. He was rebellious and even asked for his inheritance before his father died. And in this culture, it would have been like saying you hated your father and wanted him to die. And so he took his money, he squandered it, and 
we find him at the bottom of his road to self-destruction and self-reliance. And he comes back realizing he's in such need. And then we have the other brother who did everything right. He was religious and followed through. And yet his self-righteousness became a barrier in loving his brother and even understanding his expectations he had for his father. And then we see the father in both of these scenarios moving towards his sons in love and compassion and understanding. And so the three points that I think have really brought me back to what love is and how it moves me to love God is this. Number one, God's love creates us but does not control us. Right? We see the further we run from the place where God dwells, the less I'm able to hear the voice that calls me beloved. And I see this in the younger son, and I've seen this in my own experience of running from God, is that I lose my identity when I move towards self-reliance. And God's love creates me, right? I have been created in God's love as the Imago Dei that has been created, but God does not control me. I'm allowed to walk away. I'm allowed to move away. And this idea of God not being the controlling God, but just a loving God, that in his love, he allows us to stay close out of love, not out of obligation or out of religious law. And the more I move away, the more I'm able to see that this world offers me many things, but the love of the Father cannot be matched. So in addition to God's love creating us but not controlling us, God's love also is given to us. It's placed on us rather than based on us, right? It's not about our rebellion or our righteousness. It is about God's gift towards us. And we see this in both cases that the name father was given to both sons, right? They were able to call him father regardless of their decisions in life, but based on the father's character towards his sons. And then lastly, God's love is always unconditionally moving towards us, and we can never run too far from home. And we see this in both categories. For the son that ran away, he moves close. But even in his moving towards God, we see that in this picture of this parable, God, the father in this story, is already moving towards his son, isn't he? And then we also see how when the older son, the the, the righteous brother is frustrated with the expectation that he had on what was right or wrong. God moves towards him in love as well, going outside the party to try to draw him back in. And so to the extent we receive and believe God's love for us is the extent to which we will love others. We can only give what we possess, right? And so this practice of embodying our belovedness is a daily one. It's one that comes from being with God, being reminded of our belovedness, receiving his goodness, and naming ourselves as beloved children of God. And so what is love? Well, it's God's deep affection and intention for our good. And why do we love? How do we even have the capacity to love? It's because God first loved us and has continued ceasingly to love us first. And he invites us home to his presence where all he has is ours. And so may we be empowered to display his love to the world by first accepting his love. Next week, we're going to be looking at the second question of this series, 
How do we love? Now we accept God's love. Now what do we do with that love? How do we actually do that in an embodied way? We're going to be looking at verse 17 of Luke 11 and what it means to love God with all of ourselves, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So you won't want to miss it. Make sure if you aren't already, subscribe to the podcast so you get every episode instantly downloaded to your podcast episodes. And please share with friends every share, click, and subscription helps get the word out from Therapy and Theology. So Happy New Year and looking forward to being with you again next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkoyer.com. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.